Hello everyone, welcome back to Fear. I'm your host, Paul Rondo, and today we have, we're just going to go right into the story. So we're going into part five of The Man in My Basement Takes One Step Closer Every Week. So without further ado, let's get right into the story. The Man in My Basement Takes One Step Closer Every Week, part five, by Polterkites. Leg in a blue cast, I hobbled across the street on crutches. Forty-nine hours had passed since I fell down the stairs and saw the intruder in my basement, or at least, I saw his hands. Enough was enough. I needed concrete answers and a concrete plan. At this rate, the intruder would reach my room in weeks, maybe days. I pounded, I pounded on the neighbor's door and stopped. Something inside moved. Through frosted windows down the hallway, the blurry shadow of a door creaked open. Someone peeked out. I waved politely. They stepped back in the room and pulled the door shut. I raised my hand again, the knock when the front door flung open. There stood P.T. Carver, dressed in blue jeans and a brown t-shirt, looking even more Clint Eastwood-like than before. Brandon, he said, smiling warmly. I opened my mouth to respond, but realized I didn't even know his name. Just the initials. All's fine, he said. I stepped back from the front door and motioned me inside. All. I propped forward under my crutches and, wait! He reached behind the door and produced a box of disposable light blue masks. You don't mind? He said, putting a mask on himself and handing another one to me. Of course not, I said, and put the mask on. Getting too old to risk, you know, said Paul, stepping back from the door and once again motioning me inside. As I stepped inside, his eyes dropped to the blue cast around my leg. He raised an eyebrow. Fell down the stairs, I said. Ouch. He shut the door and I glanced around the house. The interior contradicted my expectations. Varnished oak walls with a smooth shine. This house felt like an old Wall Street corner office, like in these movie, like in the movies where the men in suits pull whiskey out from beneath their desks. There was no upstairs, only the first floor, a couple bedrooms, and a door that led to what I assumed was a basement. A long hallway led to the back of the house, and I noticed the room where someone had appeared out from. The door was still shut. The air smelled like tobacco and vanilla. Not a bad smell, at least not to me. Tobacco scent always reminded me of my dad's house back in Georgia, back when I was a kid and still somewhat happy. I kicked off my shoes and pressed my sock-covered feet against the floor. In this oddly fancy house, the carpet, was, the carpet was out of place, green, scratchy, worn down from the plywood in some areas. Please, said Paul, motioning toward the living room. I shuffled deeper into the house. Despite the sunny day outside, it was dark in here. All the blinds pulled shut. Everything cast in shadow, save for a couple desk lights and beams of intruding sunlight. Feel free to take a seat, said Paul, nodding towards a long green velvet couch. I slumped down and immediate relief came over. Hobbling around on crutches was tiring than it looked. Can I get you anything? Water? Coffee? said Paul. I'm good, thanks. Paul winced, as though I offended him. You sure? Water? No thanks. Paul sat down on a wooden stool across from me, a stool that creaked with antique st strain. Crossing his legs, he leaned sideways against the wall, studying me like a therapist studies a client. So? I took a deep breath and exhaled. Last night, I saw him. Paul's face remained neutral. He shifted his weight slightly. Saw what? The intruder. I leaned forward in my seat. What I saw has no reasonable hands, barely human. I trailed off into silence. Take a photo? No. Good. Keep it that way. Why? He studied me carefully before continuing. You seen a doctor? No. 
He glanced down at the cast of my leg, then back to me. I rolled my eyes. Well, yes. You tell him about? No. His eyes faced with... His, his face filled with strange relief. Uncrossing his legs, he leaned forward and resisted his, rested his elbows on his knees. Do not tell anyone about this. Not even Mitch, you understand? Sure. Paul leaned back, reached into the chest pocket of his shirt, pulled out a cigarette. He pulled off his mask and tossed it back over his shoulder. He brought the cigarette up to his mouth, pinched it between his thin lips, and took out a pack of matches. A thump reverberated from somewhere deep inside the house. He froze, raised an eyebrow, silence. He shrugged, struck the match, and another thump. Paul shook out the match and tossed it into a spaghetti tin can upon a yellow plastic crate to his left. Excuse me, he said, stepping up, turning around, and marching deeper into the house. I watched as he rounded the corner and disappeared into the foyer hallway. Now I was starting to wonder if I was coming over here for such a good idea to begin with. My initial meeting with Paul was surprising to say the least. His long, drawn-out, bare safety monologue was odd, but endearing in a weird sort of way. But when Paul showed up at the diner, Mitch seemed truly disturbed, like he'd seen a ghost. Either way, I just wanted answers. Hopefully, Paul would give me the right ones. Right then, the sound of door clicked open in the foyer hallway, and it clicked shut. The faintest hint of a smell of the faintest hint of a smell entered my nostrils. The reoccurring smell of gasoline and burnt hair. So subtle it might have been imagined. Down the hallways, muffled voices. Arguing? I tilted my head and strained to listen, but Sorry about that, said Paul, suddenly stepping into the room. No worries. With oddly pin-straight pressure, Paul sat down on the couch across from me. A brown velvet couch with old-time drawings of farms and ducks that reminded me of self in my grandma's house. The same one I slept on after Grandpa's funeral. You want answers, huh? said Paul, striking a match, lighting up the cigarette and finally taking a slow, satisfying drag. The smoke lingered around him for a moment, then slowly drifted back towards the dining room. Why does Mitch think you're dead? Paul nodded, as though expecting the question. Reaching over the side of the couch, he tapped the cigarette with his pointer finger. Small bits of glowing ash broke off and tumbled down to the tin can. Back when Mitch and Rachel, his sister, were kids, Paul said, I had some serious health issues. Still do, full disclosure. But I'm medicated now and that helps. He lifted the cigarettes to take another drag, but stopped short, remembering something. He lowered it and continued. After my, father, after my father passed away, I started to believe something was stalking me, toying with me. He shifted uncomfortably in his seat, starting with small things at first. Bumps in the night, food gone bad before the expi expiry date. Things too small to talk about, but too big to just, you know, brush off. He met my eyes, then looked away and took another short drag off the cigarette. I thought back to my expired milk in my fridge, one of my many unanswered questions still festering in the back of my mind. All side. I'm a rash I'm a rationalist at heart, so the possibility of something unnatural he waved his fingers like a magician that never crossed my thoughts. He paused again, glancing over at me, judging my reactions as he spoke. Now bear with me, because all the leads point because all this leads to a point, he continued. One night back in ninety four, maybe ninety three, the kids and their mom were fast asleep. It was Thursday, so I went down to the basement for canned peaches and a late night beer. He pointed down at the floor. The light wasn't working, so I came back with a flashlight, and he trailed off into silence, his cold blue eyes still locked to the floor. 
This time something was there. Just standing there. Stood down the basement hallway with their back turned to me. I wanted to call out, scream, run upstairs to my nine my nine mil, but instead I just froze. Like roadkill in headlights. Paul looked directly at me. That's when it hit me. I realized the intruder, over seven foot tall by the way, he was halfway stuck in the concrete wall. Like the mole was set around him and dried there. Paul shook his head like a chill went down his spine. I couldn't even think straight. He leaned forward and rubbed his forehead with the back of his thumb. A weird trip a weird tick that suddenly stood over to out to me. Mitch did the same thing, and so did Howie. Things got really bad after that. The more I tried to fight it, the worse it got. Of course, nobody else saw him. They just saw a stack of cardboard boxes. He paused again, looking around the room. One night, cold autumn night, I downed two Mickeys of cognac and brought my nine mil downstairs, marched straight up to him. He made a gun with his fingers and pointed at me, pressed a barrel between his dead eyes and pulled the trigger. He mined the motion of gun, of gun kicked back and limply dropped his hand back to his thigh. But he didn't even flinch. Bullet went straight through him. Ricocheted off the back wall and got me in the hand. He held up his left hand. The pinky finger was cut off, short at the first knuckle. I hadn't even noticed this until just now. He shook his hand like it went numb and leaned back into his seat. After that, Holly threatened to leave. Take the kids with her. He rubbed the side of his palm against his left forearm, ruminating. His eyes suddenly lit up with a with a his eyes suddenly lit up as if remembering something. Let me show you something, he said, pushing up from the couch. He strolled toward the door I assumed led to the basement. I remained seated. After my last encounter with the intruder, I wasn't a big fan of stairs, or basements for that matter. You coming? Paul noticed my hesitation. I looked back at Looked back at me the same way my dad used to, struggling to hide the disappointment. I cleared my throat, grabbed my clutches, crutches, and pushed to standing. Paul smiled a half-smile, pulled another disposable mask off from his back pocket, and put it on. Stood in the front basement door, he pulled the ring of keys out from the back pocket, humming to himself. He rifled through until finding the key he wanted. He unlatched the chosen key and turned the lock. No dice. He relatched the key and went back to rifling still humming all the while. Meanwhile, I stood back about ten feet, eyes locked in the mysterious room at the end of the hallway. The door was shut. You live alone? Yes, said Paul. Well, yes and no. He unlatched another key and gave the one a try. No dice. An old friend lives down the room down the hall. I'm the caretaker, sort of, he said nonchalantly. That's good of you. Yeah, well, I owe them one, said Paul, unlatching a third key from the ring, holding it up to his face and studying it like a jeweler studies a Suspect diamond. He brought it down to the lock, pushed it in, and turned. Finally, the door clicked open. Third time's the... Paul looked around, searching for words. Same way Howie did, shaking his head. Paul tucked away the key and stepped down into the dark. He flicked the light on, and cold fluorescent glows stammered to life. Concrete walls and wooden steps smothered in layers of dust. Paul looked back over his shoulder. You good with stairs, he said, looking down at the cast-covered leg. I'll try. He nodded. Use the railing. He turned back and stepped deeper into the basement. I hobbled across the hallway and stood at the top of the stairs, peering down. The flight of steps seemed longer than expected, like it went down one and a half stories instead of just one. Paul stood at the bottom of another door in front of me, or in front of him, though maybe door wasn't quite the right word. More like a bumper hatch. 
metallic and held shut with arm-sized lever instead of a doorknob. I didn't want to go into the basement, but the weight of the morbid curiosity compelled me yet again. Paul gripped his hands around the lever, braced himself against the wall, and pulled. His wiry arms flexed and strained at the lever slowly lurched towards him. Gritting his teeth, Paul yanked harder and harder until finally the lever gave away, swung backwards suddenly. The metallic door itself shifted downward with an echoing clang, and clouds of dust particles burst out from the edges. Paul wiped his forehead with the back of his hand, squat down, and grabbed the bottom of the door with both hands. Hoisted upward, he pushed the door into a vertical swing. It pressed flat up against the ceiling. There was nothing but darkness ahead. Paul crept forward, and silence followed. Five long seconds ticked by until a light flicked on. More cold, stuttering glow. You good? Paul's voice echoed up the staircase. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay, I said, and stepped forward. Once again being dragged. The magnetic pull of morbid curiosity. Going downstairs on crutches was even more tedious than expected. The whole precarious journey took about three minutes until, finally, I stepped into the basement. A long, narrow hallway led to a two-way fork in the path. Dirt floors, plywood walls. I've got an engineering slash construction background, said Paul, strolling forward. Built this place from the ground up. He stopped at the fork in the hallway and looked both ways, thinking. He looked left. He looked right. He looked left again. He shrugged. Gotta be this way. Pushed forward and I, fo I followed. Basement's bigger than you think, he said as he rounded the corner. Another narrow hallway led away 20 feet ahead until it reached about two-way fork. Or it reached another two-way fork. Paul kept walking, and I kept following. I put up these walls trying to build a maze around him. Slow him down. Chuckled, rounding another corner. Then I put up the bunker hatch, and he trailed into silence. Rounding in another corner, we entered a 10-foot by 10-foot room. He stepped into the middle and turned back to face me. This, my friend, is the construction of a former madman, he said playfully looking around. Holly left me halfway into building it. He shook his head and spat at the ground. I don't blame her. He looked directly at me. Look, kid, he paused. You want all this to go away? You want to stop having this encounter? Work on yourself. I blinked. Are you kidding me? Half shrugging, he continued. Look, I know it sounds... I know how it sounds. But after Holly took the kids and left, really kicked me into gear. I stopped drinking, got help, professional help. Started taking meds, you know, the right meds. Sure enough, all this went away. No more man in the basement. No more altered reality bullshit. I know it's the last thing you want to hear, but this... This thing, it's all in your mind. You don't think it's a little odd that my hallucinations match yours? Paul nodded understandingly. What do you think set this all off? I shook my head. The note, said Paul. The note my son, well-meaning, thought he was... The note my son, well-meaningly, though he was, left on your doorstep. I just wanted to leave now. I was tired. I even heard... You ever heard of a tulpa? said Paul, reaching forward and placing his hand on my shoulder. I didn't respond. I just stood there, staring at him blankly, leaning forward on my crutches. Tulpas, Paul continued, are these things that don't exist until you believe they exist. The more you believe they exist, the more they exist. And the more they exist, the more they fuck with you. If I wasn't so tired, I would have laughed. Okay. Look, I know it. I'm not saying that what this is, but it might be what it is. Sure. Mitch blessed him. Or Mitch bless him. He thinks it's all real. Thinks it's got me by Think it's got me years back. Think it's controlling me now. Using my tricks 
using me to trick others into worshiping or something. He smiled grimly. It's a different story every time. Paul shook his head. All I can say is it's not real, but it's the only way to stop this and figure out what's wrong with your life and fix it. Something upstairs moved. Three quick, staggering footsteps. Paul glanced up at the ceiling, then back down at me. Ignore the intruder. You follow the rules until you've fixed your life, or until you stop believing it. Then you take the coat rack out past city limits and douse it in gasoline. You burn it, okay? Okay, I said noncommittally. Finally, he pulled his hand off my shoulder. You need help with anything. I'm always here. You got booze problems, life problems, anything, he said. His eyes filled with sincerity. This thing is really messing with your head. Makes it hard to know you can trust, you know? Sometimes it feels like it's almost jumping in and out of people around you, controlling them, but it's all in your head. His tone was shifting now, almost sounding excited. Part of me wondered if the intruder was controlling him. Right now, deriving twisted pleasure out of messing with me. I shook the thought and another thump upstairs. Paul acted like he didn't hear it. I should go, I said, stepping forward or backwards. Sure, kid, said Paul, again talking to me like I was his son. I turned around and as fast as I could without tripping. I crutched my way out of the basement maze up the stairs and out the front door. I stepped out of Paul's house and took a deep breath of fresh air. I felt like getting rescued from a down river or downing river. A drowning river. I exhaled relief. And at this point I didn't trust Paul or Mitch or even fucking Howie for this for that matter. Nothing was stable, and everything was getting worse. I hobbled back across the street, and my phone buzzed in my, to life in my front pocket. I stopped in the middle of the road, pulled out my phone, and flicked on the screen. Squinting, I held it to my face. 27 missed calls from Mitch Carver. Force. Ugh. I don't know, man. This is, uh... I don't know if it's just the thing messing with him, or... I don't know, maybe it is what he said it was, uh, a mismer or whatever the heck we said it was. I've heard of that happen before. They've A lot of it's like uh, internet sensation stuff, like Slender Man and stuff like that. They don't actually exist until a bunch of people believe in them. It's almost like, uh, what is it? I think it was the Greek gods that needed something like that. They The more the more people believed in them, the more power they derived from, from the people. So they had to have worshippers in order to manifest. So... Maybe that's how this works, too. And maybe by him sending around the messages in the notes, it's actually worse for everybody. But I don't know. On another note, if you guys want to start sending your own stories in, you can send them to podcastfear at gmail.com. It's podcastfear at gmail.com. I'd really appreciate it, and it would be really cool to get some of you guys' stories on the podcast. Also, please try to share. I'm sure your grandma would love it. And honestly, guys, until next time, Always remember to face your fears.